Hello, and welcome to our not new but not that old podcast, Legends of Philadelphia. We're your host, I'm Tony Trove, and this is my best friend and business partner, Johnny Zito. Hi. Joining us on engineering duties is hers chips enthusiast, Brian Bierman. <laughs> <laughs> you might be like you guys like you guys aren't hers chips enthusiasts, though. Love them. You're just you're the expert. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I I'm a, I'll allow that. Uh, you might be asking, what makes these nerds such experts? Well, in addition to being Philadelphia natives, Johnny Zito and I have a t-shirt business, South Fellini, that focuses on Philly culture and in-jokes. Lots of times, customers will ask, you know, what's the deal with the free blockbuster? Or they want to know the quickest way to get down the shore. So we decided to start this podcast as an easy explainer for the new Philadelphians and a refresher for the old heads. Oh, the city fascinates and excites us. So we're hoping to share that with you. I just made that up atop my old uh, old noggin right here. I didn't read it. <laughs> I liked all the new little jokes. It's like we're like the Simpsons now. That's exactly, That's right. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, little, I, I've been little, watching a lot of Simpsons reruns. It, it inspired me. I, I was like, let's keep switching it too. up. But I'm always watching Simpsons reruns. So. I pretty much only just send you Simpsons memes on Instagram. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and when Trove and I are working a lot in the shop, we listen to the uh, the, the Simpsons remix uh, oh, on YouTube, Dankmas. which is like a bunch of right, club right. DJ songs <laughs> mixed together with Simpsons quotes. The, the best Simpsons lines. <laughs> I'm very, uh, I'm very excited about today's. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about this. Pat Croce, one of the greatest Sixers presidents of all time. Oh no! Um, <laughs> you told me we were doing this. Like, oh, it was. I only had like a month. I only had a month, so I read five of his books. I only read five. One was a self-help book. You didn't read the email. And the other four were about pirates. <laughs> you didn't get to the karate section. Yeah, he's a black belt in Taekwondo. He does the commentating on the Olympic. Uh, uh, the Olympics. Uh, Brian, I, I have bad news for you, man. I don't know. So I'm I'm very uh, I'm very excited. I'm sorry, man. No. What? We're not we're not what? doing we're not doing Pat Croce. We're doing Jim Croce. Singer, like the folk yep. music, mm-hmm. you know, AM yep. radio. Yeah, like what's slow your, stuff? What's your beef against AM radio? But I'll, I'll cut this. But can we just like, can we just call an audible and do it on Pat Croce? <laughs> like, I got all these notes. All right. Well, uh, I guess that J- Jim Croce. I didn't know he was from Philly. Yeah, he is. So, uh, that, I honestly, I honestly didn't know that. I I always say like, why doesn't Philadelphia elevate an artist like that? He's like world famous. World famous. Yeah. They're like, no, Bobby Rydell Boulevard. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Croce. Jim Croce's too. Uh, he's he, he, he's too. Uh, he's too out there. Doesn't fit the mold. Doesn't fit the mold. No, of a South he's Philadelphia. got long hair. He's yep. he's he's a uh, he's too. He's a uh, he's a rebel. He's a, gro- he's a groovy rebel. Yeah. In, in, in the land of, of tough guys, he's a rebel. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. 
Uh, James Joseph Croce, Jim Croce, was an American singer-songwriter from South Philadelphia. Between 1966 and 1973, Croce released five studio albums and numerous singles. In the early 1970s, he regularly charted and even had a few number one songs on Billboard. His career was just starting to succeed when he tragically died in a plane crash at 30 years old. His folk rock styling survive on FM radio and late night comp- compilation commercials uh, and uh, in some very famous uh, movie scenes that you're probably all familiar with. So today we're going to uh, explore the career of Philadelphia's forgotten folk rock hero, Jim Croce. Do you guys Damn. do you guys have any personal Jim Croce connections? Do you remember the first time you heard him? Did you know he was from Philadelphia? I mean, I guess I just know it from like what, like one hundred two nine MGK, but uh, <laughs> my uh, <laughs> yeah, just like a classic rock guy. Uh, I don't know. My yeah. my dad has a story that he 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 met him in the sixties. I guess um, I got talking to him recently about it. We kind of figured it out. Um, he met him in the sixties, and uh, I guess my dad was friends with a, his cousin, and they went to his house, and he was like working on a, like a music chart. And he said he was like pretty rude to them because he wasn't paying attention to them. And he and he finished the chart, and he goes, "I just made fifteen hundred bucks," and uh, my it, that stuck out <laughs> to my dad. And I was like, "Why would he make fifteen hundred dollars?" I thought he was like writing his own songs, but he was probably like uh, like transcribing or like writing a chart for someone else. Yeah, he probably paid him to do that. Yeah. Um, but my dad like didn't really like him. He thought he was rude. <laughs> but I don't know. It's a difficult job because you know I don't know how to. Can you write a chart? <laughs> so he was writing songs when your dad was when your dad was there. Was your dad going by the name Bad Bad Leroy Brown at the time? My father's name is also James, so I think that that's probably why I didn't like him. Yeah, Jims never like each other. That's a, that's true. James is never like each other. That's true. Was he messing around with Jim at the time? <laughs> I think it's ironic that was his first hit then too. You know. I brought it up to my dad. He didn't really think that was like a funny thing. We have different uh, taste and humor. <laughs> but that's my that's my that's my closest connection. I almost feel like our our podcast is not a history podcast, but it's like a gossip blog. It was a little bit. Well, I mean, the personal connection. It's like a little bit. Like I heard one time that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Just like yeah, we do that a lot. Uh, it's goss. It's, it's goss. goss. It's hot goss, and that's what people. Yeah, want. it's nine tenths Wikipedia and one tenths <laughs> one tenths oral history. We're like um, Perez Hilton. <laughs> Perez. <laughs> <laughs> but worse, even worse. <laughs> Larry Krasner. What was he wearing? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I remember uh, there there was a uh, in high school late high school maybe early college there was a behind the music on Jim Croce and I just uh, watched every episode of behind the music I think it came on like Sunday nights or, or whatever and uh, it was on in the background and I the, remember the VH1 generation That's yeah <laughs> yeah somebody somebody who was being interviewed for that episode said they uh, Argon Avenue and the way they said it I was like nobody says Argon oh, wow nobody says Argon Avenue like that unless they're from Argon <laughs> Avenue. <laughs> And I like paid a little closer attention, and then like picked up. Then like by you know I was like, oh, this guy was from Philadelphia. I'll fuck. Now I and care. then it was strange because I was like listening to the music in the episode, and I was like, this does not sound like Philly seventies music. It's like it's definitely on the other end of the spectrum. It's so much more folksier oh. and twangy, and uh, I I don't know uh, outdoorsy. That's the only way I can really think to describe it. Yeah, it's like it's like all his songs are just like 
taking a big deep sigh and then driving to a new town. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or yeah. like the end cre- the end credits of a movie or something. They're just, it's just like, yep, like introspective, like soft. Uh, he has like a very distinctive voice, very like, and he was a great guitar player also. Yeah. Uh, Beerman, did you did you, did you uh, grow up with uh, Jim Croce music? Is it something you came to later when you were getting into music yourself, or no? My dad, my dad liked them. I think my mom, my, my I grew up with like Jackson Brown and shit, and like Bruce Springsteen, so like all this stuff. So, uh, but I didn't know he was from Philly. I just knew that, like, I know all these songs. Even going, um, when we were doing this, like going through and be like oh i know these like songs i just never really like picked up uh that it was like him like but it, he, he had more songs that i knew that i don't that know I he on. doesn't he doesn't fit into like the the jerry blavitt mold of making a buck so it's like <laughs> like they don't remember him you know yeah. it's like here's <laughs> yeah. the south philly famous singers <laughs> or, or like the philly singer i don't know like the, <laughs> the the oldie scene ignores him you know and like the rest of the world is like oh this is great these are great songs yeah, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I guess it's, we'll light a just, candle and listen. We'll get into it, but he was definitely trying to be like a singer songwriter, not necessarily a rock star, and uh, I think that's also part of the charm. Yeah. So, uh, Croce, Croce was born January tenth, nineteen forty three, in South Philadelphia, uh, to James Albert Croce and Flora Mary Babushi, uh, both Italian Americans from Abruzzo and Sicily, respectively. So they were off the boat, and uh, so he was a first generation down in South Philly, uh, growing up in the 40s and the 50s. He looks like it, too. When I was looking up, for, when I looked at pictures of him, I was like, oh, this is like, if Zito took his sunglasses off, he would look like Jim Croce. <laughs> <laughs> I always say if I shave my, like, have I have a mustache, I have a Jim Croce mustache. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's the style I have. <laughs> Just grows a certain way. I don't know. I always want a Frank Zappa, but I have a, I have a Jim Croce. A Jim Croce. All right, not that funny. All right. It's a very great. It's a, it's a very good observation. It's very interesting. In 1960, uh, Croce studied at Malvern Prep before enrolling at Villanova University, where he majored in psychology and minored in German. Uh, so. Yeah, Croce was a student disc jockey and a member of the Villanova Spires. When the Spires performed off campus, they made recordings uh, or made recordings. They were known as the Coventry Lads. So, like, this is like some old school college. <laughs> That's some sexy shit. Clean, <laughs> That's like trying shit. to f- yeah. let's fit all into the uh, into the phone booth and eat goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good old prank. Yeah. So before Villanova, Croce did not take music very seriously, but at school he formed all these bands and performed at fraternity parties and coffee houses and universities around Philadelphia. At the time, he'd play, uh, quote, anything that uh, the people wanted to hear, blues, rock, acapella, railroad music, anything. So, end quote. So wherever he went, he just played what that room wanted to hear. And he learned to play all of it. Because play another railroad song. <laughs> <laughs> you want to hear more railroad songs. Beerman, please, please calm down. <laughs> no, I came for railroad music. <laughs> I'll tell you when I had enough. I want it. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. I want to <laughs> hear it. She'll be coming around the mountain for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's funny though. Like it's definitely kind of like how Pennsylvania's Appalachia music. It's kind of like why there's like I was Bill Haley and the Comets are from the area and they make country rock and roll records. Like it's definitely fits in with kind of what was going on. You know, it is like a coal state. It makes sense. Yeah. Uh, he probably just went. Oh, he's probably very, so musical. He just probably it just probably poured out of him. Yeah. He just couldn't wait to play music. He wanted to play music all the time. And when he got the taste for it, that was it. Uh, and he formed all of these bands. Uh, one of Croce's bands was uh, chosen for a foreign exchange tour of Africa, the Middle East, and Yugoslavia. He later said, quote, We just ate what the people ate, lived in the woods, and played our songs. Of course, they didn't speak English uh, over there, but if you mean what you're singing, people will understand you, end quote. So he got a taste for the world then in uh, his college years, uh, got to perform music all over the place, mostly, you know, m- American standards and, 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 you know, I don't know, top 40s, I guess. He, uh, that, I listened to that live record. It was, it's right, recorded right before he died, and he actually talked about this, and he said what, a, like, an experience it was and, like, eating all kind of things. He said he got, a, he, said he got like, a, like, a, came back with a bunch of different diseases, I had imagined her STDs. <laughs> <laughs> like he didn't, He's a he didn't say it, but he kind of said it. Oh, uh, it's like it, I probably gonna refer to this recording of, a few times during this because he. What's it called? Do you remember? It's like the last performance or something like that. It's on Spotify. Um, we'll link to it in the visual companion. Yeah, it, and it's just like this like live recording at a college, and he just like ref, he just tells these little stories in between. Uh, uh, one of them, he even refers to a fire hydrant as a fire plug, which is like the most South Philly thing that just, yeah. he just said it. I was thinking, people in the audience probably <laughs> didn't know he's talking about wow. it. Yeah, it's so funny. Um, but it's he great. He knows my pain. He knows my pain. <laughs> Guys, the plug, the plug. And they're like, we can't figure out what he's trying to say to us. <laughs> Firefighters. <laughs> <laughs> Put out the fire. <laughs> That was all good stuff. I, I you sent the uh, you sent that album over, and I only got to listen to two songs from it before before we sat down to record. But it is a really good find, and I uh, it, like you said, it's it was recorded while he was on his last tour, right before he died, and so it's uh you know it's it's the last record of him and his personality, not just his music, but he talks between every one of the songs, and so you get a real a real feel for him. Um, in the meantime, on November 29th, 1963, Croce met his future wife, Ingrid Jacobson, at the Philadelphia Convention Hall during a hootenanny where he was uh, judging a contest. Whoa. Oh. That's fun. I mean, this is like pre-Beatles. You know what I mean? You got to think about yeah, it like yeah, that. This is like yeah. really <laughs> a different time. Yeah. It's just like it's, a, it's like a, a, like a, a three-legged race. He met his wife there. <laughs> <laughs> You mentioned the Appalachian stuff, and that's like where a hootenanny comes from. Even that phrasing is like a Pennsylvania Appalachian. Yeah, it's pretty good. Probably a good time. Everyone just drinks moonshine and square dances, and <laughs> you punch a horse. It sounds like a good time. A no, don't punch a horse. I don't, I, but I watch other people do it, <laughs> and I don't step in, so I'm just as bad. <laughs> yeah, you're technically just as bad. <laughs> Tweeted about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So Croce married Ingrid in 1966 and converted to Judaism as as his wife was Jewish. Uh, He and Ingrid were married in the traditional Jewish ceremony. He enlisted. He soon enlisted in the Army National Guard after that uh, in the same year to avoid being drafted and deployed to Vietnam. Uh, He served on active duty for four months, leaving for duty a week after his honeymoon. 
Uh, Croce, who was not good with authority, had to go through basic training twice. Uh, He later joked that he was deadly with a mop. So I guess he didn't take too well to boot camp. He talks about it in that recording as well, actually. <laughs> he said, <laughs> what does he have to say about boot camp? He said, like, you, he's like, you get the brown letter, which I guess is like, like what I think that's what he referred to it as. And it's like, is he, that your draft when you the get way drafted? They, the way they drafted, uh, like, like col- people with like a college degree. Mm. And like, he had to go to this, he, he had to go to the National Guard or whatever. And so he wasn't going overseas, but he was like, how to do military duties. And he talked about he's talked about getting called maggot and like getting picked <laughs> on. And it's like I'm telling you, like I really been I've been like just listening nonstop Jim Croce, and it's funny to think of like <laughs> this like Italian guy out in the world and like experiencing these things and like <laughs> what it was like for him to be like what like you're used to people from around here and there's like a, people screaming at you and there's people telling you to kill people and it's like. <laughs> It's just wild. It's really funny. I can't believe he had to go through basic training twice. Like, I, if you fail out, why would they want you back? I don't understand how that works exactly. You'd think they would just, like, kick you out. Uh, you, ain't, you ain't getting out that easy. <laughs> they hold you back a grade in basic training? How good of a soldier could Jim Croce have been? It was like that time we played paintball. Like, it was, <laughs> it was like just... This guy's going to distract everybody. <laughs> I just feel like if you're that bad, like if you're that shitty at it, then you're a liability. Why would they, who's, who wants you around at that point? It's like, this guy just it proved himself. Vietnam War. They needed any, they needed whatever, whoever, whatever. They're just throwing bodies, I guess. You ain't getting out. Everyone wants to get out of this. Yeah, not so, not so fast, beatniks. Yeah. <laughs> you got to do it again. Do it again. So uh, Croce released his first album, uh, Facets, in 1966, with only 500 copies being pressed. The album had been financed with a $500 wedding gift from Croce's parents. His mother insisted that Jim spend the money uh, to record and press an album of original music because mom and dad had hoped that he would give up on music after the album failed and finally use his college education to pursue a more respectable profession. <laughs> so they were like, "Here, make your shitty album, and then and then you can get a real yep. job." Yep. However, the album, yeah, the album did well. I was listening to this one, local hit, of course. I was. Um, it has. Um, he wrote some songs about Philadelphia. There's one. It's called uh, "Going Down the Path." Mark. It'll be Acme, you know. Acme. Well, I'm going down the Acme. Because I got to <laughs> buy some gum. It was during the gum craze, right? Yeah. There's, um, hey, cuz, can I bomb a cigarette? <laughs> Which was a ballad. That was the ballad on that. <laughs> Look how proud he is. <laughs> <laughs> I, wish I, I, I wish I screen grabbed that. <laughs> no, no, no. I was waiting for the awkward silence to end, so, so we could move on. Beerman, you should write those songs. I know you're just making a joke or whatever, but those could be, those are instant classics. They could be. They'd be folk songs. They're bound to be. They're like, they speak to well, me. That's like, I feel seen. <laughs> I just want to talk about it real quick and how impressive it actually is because like as a person, as people, Trove and I, who have had many projects and you start many things and you self-publish a lot of things, some of them do well and some of them don't. 
And for your first one out of the gate to press 500 copies and have 500 copies sold uh, like immediately the way that he did is just for me very relatable um, as a as a goal that you like that you dream of that you press for and for him to have achieved it it just like it must have felt like such a huge victory and like I can totally identify with another guy from South Philly who did a small pressing of his like dream media project and then like it succeeded and it's so encouraging it feels like the best thing in the world. Yeah, even like, uh, Billy Paul made that record in North Philly, and it's like that's so cool that some you know like we're gonna make a record, and like, enough people buy it that keeps you going. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, uh, it's cool that indie things are even being were made at back in the '60s. You know, I uh, I looked it up for you, Beerman, but uh, just because I wanted to reference it, I wanted to get at it in in relation to this. But five hundred dollars back in 1966, which is how much Jim spent to press his 500 copies, is three thousand nine hundred and forty bucks in uh, 2019 money. So, uh, so, you know, it's like, it's like having dropping three, $4,000 on your book or your album or I have one job on the show, right? <laughs> and it's to look up how much things are. Okay. And now like, I'm this sorry, is not man. the first time you've done this also. Yeah. The, the, Beerman, I'm, so, I'm with you. No, I, so I, 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 and I think it was your, if I remember correctly, it was your idea. I do this every, every week. So, <laughs> I, so if you well, don't like the way I'm yeah. doing it. If you got a problem with it, you can email me or say it to my face. <laughs> but you, but you should convert it to Dogecoin for for the, yeah. Do you want to convert that for, to, for your to crypto a, current no, for no, cryptocurrencies? No, no, for Bitcoin. No. Beerman, it's not for Beerman coin. No, <laughs> Beerman coin. <laughs> People should invest in Beerman coin. It's going. It's only gone up so yeah, far. Give me some money. It's gonna moon. It only goes up. It only goes up. <laughs> it's only going up so far. So, so mom and dad were hoping he would give it up, but from the mid-60s to the early 70s, uh, Croce performed with his wife as a duo. At first, their performances included songs by artists such as uh, Ian and Sylvia, Gordon Lightfoot, Joan, Joan Baez, and Arlo Guthrie. Uh, but That's in- funny he did Gordon Lightfoot because I, I feel like people confuse the two. Or they're like very similar, like uh Must have been a big influence. Uh, yeah. Lightfoot. Light it's Lightfootian, his music. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh over time, of course, Croce and his wife began to perform write and perform their own music. Uh uh, during this time, Croce got his first long-term gig at a suburban bar and steakhouse in Lima, Pennsylvania, called the Riddle Paddock. Uh, his set list covered several genres, including blues, country, rock, uh, rock and roll, and folk. Uh, I guess this is like this was a, a regular gig, a resident uh, a residency, and uh, he would try out these originals uh, that he would later record. That would be part of those three albums that he was going to record uh, in a few years. And uh, or four more albums that he was going to put out over the next couple of years. This is where he was testing all that that material. Wow. He ever talk about Lima in his, in that album, Drove? He did not, but he uh, he did talk about driving a truck in Chester and uh, and how it influenced uh, learning about trucker life, which I also think is interesting as well. Uh, yeah. That he was he experienced that. Uh, he definitely was always on the road, and I think that's uh, definitely. I don't know. Is he? I guess he's part of the beatnik generation, like that on the road kind of stuff, uh, hitchhiking and shit. Yeah, like he just seems like he's more kind of that, you know. I don't know when his hits came out, but well, they're they're a little just a few years away. Um, at this point, uh, he's uh, still gigging and uh, kind of writing that stuff with his wife. So in 1968, the Croches were encouraged to record 
uh, by producer Tommy West and to move to New York City. The couple spent time in the Kinsburg section of the Bronx and recorded their first album with Capitol Records. During the next two years, they drove more than 300,000 miles playing small clubs and concerts on the college concert circuit, promoting their self-titled album, Jim and Ingrid Croce. Uh, I also, like, I was just, like, looking this up. I was, like, 300,000 miles. Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? And it looks like 250 shows, uh, 250 performances a year. Like, he was performing 250 nights out of the year. Yeah. Damn. Which, I mean, yeah, every lots of people go to work 250 days a year. But did you drive, you know, 100 miles between uh be- between your your gigs between jobs it's like there's a whole you know. there's a whole extra physical physicality to traveling and living like that it's a tough life <laughs> yeah 300,000 miles is a lot and they did this all in promotion of this album but they became uh disillusioned pretty quickly by the music business and New York City in general and they sold all but one guitar to pay the rent uh it was in this time that Jim wrote the song New York's not my home and he soon returned to Pennsylvania uh, to the countryside. Settling in an old farm in Lindell, uh, he was playing for $25 a night, which was not enough money to live on. And Croce was forced to take odd jobs such as driving trucks, construction work, and teaching guitar to the locals to pay the bills. Uh, all the while, Jim continued to write songs, often about the characters he would meet at local bars and truck stops that he worked at. These provided the material for such songs as Big Wheel and Working at the Car Wash Blues. Um, this is this is uh, this is kind of the stuff that's between that Jim Croce is talking about on that album that that Trove keeps bringing up, uh, the the people who inspired these different songs. He had a song called Speedball Tucker, which is about uh, doing pills while being a trucker. So uh. you know, he, <laughs> <laughs> and he's got a great story about it. Uh, I highly recommend this record live, the final tour. Um, He's a little, he's a, he's a little mean, but that's what I like it. Surly. Yeah, yeah, he's he's in it. Yeah, I think the the one song or or one of the two songs that I did get to listen to, he's talking about the inspiration for uh, his roller derby song, and he tells the whole story about the woman that he met at the bar, and the and the story about her and her husband, and what the deal is, and he knew immediately he was going to write a song about her, and it's like that's like that's really cool. That's uh that's how he got his inspiration, and he's telling other people's stories. It's like. It's uh, he was like he was like a Texan cop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like, "Oh, you're hitting on my wife." The uh, the cop thought Jim was hitting on her on his wife, uh, um, but I guess he just wanted to get the story of uh, her being a, a roller derby champ or whatever. Um, in 1970, Jim and Ingrid returned to Philadelphia. Croce decided to be serious about becoming a productive member of society. He worked construction crews, learned to be a welder, but got burned a lot. Uh, Jim's determination to be serious. Like uh, actually burned? Yeah, yeah. He complained about it in interviews uh, later. He said, uh, I didn't pull the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of, uh, uh, he learned how to weld and he was really good at it, but you still get burned a lot. And so like, if you're going to make, if you're going to, and he wasn't making any more money to do that than he was other construction work. So he like, he switched gears. He needs a cousin in the union. (laughs) I'll bet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jim's determination to be a serious adult led him to a job at the Philadelphia R&B AM radio station, WHAT, Watt Radio, where he translated commercials into, quote, soul. And uh, Jim said that meant, uh, quote, I'd sell airtime to Bronco's pool room and then write the spot. 
hey, you want to be cool and you want to shoot pool? Dig it. Can you dig it? End quote. So he, he like, I guess, added like some some lingo and some slang, some, some up-to-date some, slang. Some, some hipness. Yeah, to these advertisements uh, on WHAT, What Radio. That's where Jim met classically trained pianist, guitarist, Mari Muehlhausen from Trenton, New Jersey, uh, through producer Joe Salviolo. Uh, Joe and Jim had been friends at Villanova University, and Joe met Mari when they were teaching at Glassboro State uh, College in New Jersey. So uh, he brought everyone together, and at first Croce backed Mari on guitar, but gradually their roles reversed, and uh, Mari was adding lead guitar to Jim's music soon. So they had like this partnership that kind of like started one way and then like flipped another way, and they started playing Jim's music instead. Take a seat. <laughs> <laughs> Take a seat, mule high. <laughs> when Jim Croce discovered that uh, he and Ingrid were about to have a child, Jim became more determined to make music his profession. He sent a cassette of his new music to a friend and producer in New York with the hope that he would get a record deal. When their son, Adrian James, AJ, was born in September 1971, Ingrid became a stay-at-home mom while Jim went on the road to promote his music. Well, I guess at the time it was their music still. In 1972, uh, Croce signed a three-record contract with ABC Records, releasing two albums, uh, You Don't Mess Around with Jim and The Life and Times. The singles, You Don't Mess Around with Jim and Operator uh, and Time in a Bottle all received regular airplay across the country. So this is when they came out in 1972. Um, in the same year... And they the, were huge hits, right? Yeah, they were. They were big hits. They, I think, what more than more than charting, uh, they got a lot of airplay. Um, and that's what the uh, the Wikipedia and the articles tend to mention is that he was a radio favorite. So the Croce family moved to they they took this success and they moved to San Diego. And Jim began appearing on television, including his national debut on American Bandstand on August twelfth, uh, the Tonight Show on August fourteenth, and the Dick Cavett Show on September twentieth and twenty first. Uh, Croce began Damn, all the all the big ones. Yeah, he just did like, I mean, and these are all in a couple of days, twelfth, August 12th, August 14th, September 20th, and he's playing shows. Croce mania, dude. It was sweeping the nation. <laughs> <laughs> it's wild because like being, getting broadcasted like that, you hit every station, you're, you are all over the place at that time. There wasn't that many other things to watch. Yeah. Yeah. If he hit laughing also, that, that, that would have been all. <laughs> I know you're making a Sakatumi joke. But <laughs> I didn't say it. It was implied. Slippery slope to Nixon. I know where you're going with that. Suck it to me. Croce began touring the United States, performing in large coffee houses on college campuses and at folk festivals. However, his financial situation was still really bad. The record company had fronted him the money to record, and much of his earnings went to pay back the advance. In February 1973, Jim traveled to Europe, performing in London, Paris, Amsterdam, Monte Carlo, Zurich, and Dublin, receiving great reviews. Croce made television appearances on the Midnight Special, which he co-hosted on June 15th, and the Helen Reddy Show on July 19th. Croce's biggest single, Bad Bad Leroy Brown, reached number one on the American charts that July. So, 70... They gave Helen Reddy a show? (laughs) 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 Oh, all right. Man, they give everybody a TV show. (laughs) Shots fired, Helen Reddy. (laughs) 
there's no variety here. Like, I am always like, oh, that person had a show. Okay, I, I, it's just. It's just <laughs> yeah, back then they just like, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. Here, here's the show. Trust really offended by that. It just dumped. Oh, she did. I am woman. Oh, she just died, right? She did Delta Dawn, yeah. right? That's why I, I always think of her with that song. Right? Too soon. It's too soon. It's got the key change. I don't know. From July 16th through August 4th, Jim and Mari returned to London and performed on the old Grey Whistle Test, <laughs> where they sang Lover's Cross and Working at the Car Wash Blues from their upcoming album, I Got a Name. Croce finished recording the album just a week before. Uh, so I don't know what the old Grey Whistle Test is. Uh, that caught it's me by It's a British-like music show. Okay. So while on tour, Jim grew increasingly homesick and decided to take a break from music and just chill with Ingrid and AJ when his tour had ended. And on September 20th, 1973, the day before his ABC single, I Got a Name, was released, Croce and five others were killed when their chartered plane crashed into a tree during takeoff from Louisiana. Uh, an hour before the crash, Croce had completed a concert at Northwestern State University's Prather Coliseum in Nachitoches. That is a hard word to say. I'm sorry, everybody. Uh, he was flying to Sherman, Texas for a concert at Austin College, uh, Croce was 30 years old. Uh, everyone uh, on board died. Um, an investigation later named the probable cause of the crash to be the pilot's failure to see the obstruction due to a physical impairment. The 57-year-old pilot uh, suffered from severe coronary artery disease and had actually run three miles to the airport from the motel that morning. It is believed that he suffered a heart attack during takeoff. That's uh, nuts. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's I didn't really he he, he died the, the day before his single came out. That's like uh, uh, who else did that with uh, sitting on the dock of the bay? The same sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and then that was a hit. Right? That was a hit. Yeah. Died. Got a name. It's a great song. I never realized that he was like. He was like. At the peak of his popularity, basically, like he was like, yeah, he, he like would have. I mean, he would have recorded for for years and probably had more hit songs. And, and what was his disco album going to be like? Yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly, man, exactly. What would his answer to uh, to those societal changes have been? Would he have remained relevant? Would he have gone with the times? Would he have taken it in a new direction? It's like it's really interesting to think about because he was he was a, he was a real original. Was his music like um, popular again because of it? Well, the album I Got a Name was released on December 1st, 1973. Uh, the posthumous release included three hits, Working at the Car Wash Blues, uh, I, I'll Have to Say I Love You in a Song, and the title song, which uh, had been used as the theme to the film The Last American Hero, which was released two months prior to his death, so people had already been listening to that one. The album reached number two, and I'll, say, I'll Have to Say I Love You in a Song reached number nine on the singles chart. Uh, while ABC had not originally released the song Time in a Bottle as a single, Croce's, uh, they hadn't planned to anyway, Croce's untimely death gave its lyrics uh, dealing with mortality and the wish to have more time and additional resonance. So the song uh, subsequently received a large amount of airplay as an album track, and demand for a single release was built uh, just organically. Wow. When it eventually was released uh, as a 7-inch, it became his final number one hit. After the single had finished its two-week run at the top in early January 1974, the album You Don't Mess Around With Jim became number one for five weeks. 
Wow. Yeah. So people, yeah, he was catching on, and people were really starting to get into him, and then he he died, and and everyone was left with these, and all this content too that was just about to drop. So he disappeared, and people are dealing with those emotions, and at the same time, all of his best work just was released, and people are clamoring to get yeah. at it. It feels like it might go away. He's not going to be around to produce new stuff. Uh, Jim Croce was buried at Haim Solomon Memorial Park in Fraser, Pennsylvania. In a letter to Ingrid, which arrived after his death, Croce told his wife that he had decided to quit performing music and stick to writing and withdraw from public life. Uh, wow. That's a, yeah, that's a gut punch. In 1985, Ingrid Croce opened Croce's Restaurant and Jazz Bar, a project she and Jim had jokingly discussed over a decade earlier in the historic Gas Lamp Quarter in downtown San Diego. She owned and managed it until it closed December 31st, 2013. In 1990, uh, Croce was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Uh, Most younger people know Jim Croce's music from several popular movies and television shows such as Invincible, The Hangover Part 2, Django Unchained, X-Men Days of Future Past, uh, Hobbs and Shaw, The Prodigal Son, and Stranger Things. Um, Most of those are time in a bottle. Yeah, I was looking up time in a bottle, and and it was like... the clip from the X-Men movie and it was it was very strange. It was yeah. Like Quicks- <laughs> Quicksilver moving through time to like stop bullets from Yeah. Like but then this song is playing and then the Hobbs and Shaw one is like a weird terrible metal cover of it. <laughs> it's really bad. Yeah, it's bad. I in uh in Django Unchained, that's when he does that's um I got a name and I thought that's awesome that scene like riding their horses. Yeah. Um I think that song is cool and I always kind of thought that uh that Stone Temple Pilot song, Interstate Love Song. Do you know it? I always thought they kind of stole their riff, the riff. I'm putting it out there to, to listeners. Take that. Take that. Yeah, I'm calling all kind of shots. Take that. We don't care whose toesy steps on. <laughs> <laughs> Since I got to tie everything to wrestling, there was a um, wrestler in um, in the late 70s and the 80s named Leroy Brown, and he came out to that song, and that was his gimmick. Was that song his, and I, his and gimmick I, was that it was a Jim Croce song? <laughs> well, yeah, because he was like this it's badass a, it's a, it's from Chicago. That was that was his like that's the song about. So that was, and uh, he had a famous angle where he, um, him and Ric Flair had a series of arm wrestling contests. <laughs> <laughs> and and I I, I th- this is my theory, but I think Junkyard Dog who is a wrestler. I think uh, that comes from. Um, Bad boy, Leroy Brown. I mean, junkyard dogs were a thing, but he, but it's like meaner than a junkyard dog in the song, and and I feel like that may have. We're gonna that. just cut all of this, all right? I'm, <laughs> I cut it, so I'm not cut. I'm putting this at the beginning and at the end. <laughs> copy paste. Copy paste. Copy paste. <laughs> Okay, that's pretty much all there is to know about Big Bad Jim Croce. Please check out our website, www.southfellini.com. Uh, that's S-O-U-T-H-F-E-L-L-I-N-I.com for cool Philly-inspired merch. Check out our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at South Fellini everywhere. Follow along and join in the conversation. We want to hear from you. You. Uh, look out for new episodes of the podcast every Monday. Stay safe, wash your hands, and wear a mask. Bye.